0: Well, that's kind of a giveaway as to what movie we're starting off with today, which of course is an Oscar Isaac movie. True, you say,
1: yeah. And we were saying before the show that we love Oscar Isaac because we, we know that unlike Harrison Ford, who after Star Wars only did big tentpole films right. and movies that met his quote, Oscar Isaac will continue to do good movies, little movies, movies that uh, you know that are small that that sort of attract him based on character and director he's working with. And so that's why we love Oscar Isaac, and we loved him in Star Wars.
0: Which is why we're also talking about him in Mojave today.
1: Well, you got to start somewhere, and uh, you know they can't all be gems.
0: No, but it's but you know Mojave's
1: not no, not we, mad, we're But not, it's, we're not talking uh, about Mojave now.
0: not now. No. But no.
1: No. no? Possibly not ever, but definitely not now. <laughs> you gave us the music. You gave us the Oscar Isaac, and you can talk about Mojave. It gives a crap. Uh, well, it's got Oscar Isaac in. That's great.
0: Anything. He's so said is good.
1: Um, we were uh, actually watching the blu ray
0: just before the show
1: we were and yeah. uh it's beautiful it's uh, look disney knows that this black. had better be
0: they, they went it's not even regular like it, it's not blue bl- plastic for the keep case it's black well like they have for the 4k stuff but yeah. even though it's not 4k they, they they don't care they're star wars so we can we can go black and we can do like uh like the the uh, you know the black card the credit cards are all black because they've run Why are you out of-
1: talking about the packaging and know. not talking about the film, okay, let's the transfer, the extras, the okay. audio, and everything else people care about? Have at it.
0: Have at it. Uh, I will say this. I will say this. Watching it on Blu-ray is interesting because you realize how much of the film is engineered toward the audience experience. And this is something we might want to talk about with the with Screening Room, okay, which has been a bit of a big deal these past few weeks. I don't know if if, if we've sort of let everybody in on, on Screening Room, but um, Screening Room has created created a real schism in Hollywood, the technology.
1: Are we talking about Screening technology. Room now are we talking about Star Wars? I'm trying well, to get you on both. track to talk about Here's Star what Wars. I'm saying.
0: Here's what I'm saying. We'll get into Screening Room later. But uh, th- th- movies can't be either a great home experience or a great theatrical experience. You've really almost got to be one or the other. And yes, there are movies that we enjoy in the theater that we enjoy at home, and movies that we enjoy at home. Yes, you can you can you can enjoy but either they excel in the one or they excel in the other. And Star Wars, especially this one, is clearly designed to kick fans with all of those referential moments all of those kind of inside star wars meta moments where every where it just becomes this contagious roar in the theater yeah right Harrison Ford walks in we're home chewie yeah people scream and it's it's like being a comedian and you leave room for the laugh you, the, the movie leaves room for the for the cheers and there are a lot of them and when you're watching it sitting on your couch and those moments come it's a, it loses a little something well
1: you know what i mean i uh... I would make that argument less for this film than for your typical comedy. Like the way sure. standard comedy is cut, it's cut with those moments sure. in mind. And of course, you really don't get those moments when you watch it at home. However, I will say that the movie, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed, and as you know, Wade Wade, and I went to junior high school with J.J. and Wade... Well,
0: you, you went to junior high with him and, um, and I know him through... have met him through Matt and obviously, and, you
1: know... And we have criticized him in the past. But yeah. I have to say that even though the movie has a certain amount of calculation in its script as Wade was sort of alluding to it's still a marvelously fun film and not only is it marvelously fun it also resets our expectation for the series yes we feel like this series will go on now and probably be very good yes now as opposed uh, to the prequels
0: yes i mean it it does what lucas refused to do throughout the previous you know the the uh, the five films that followed the original Star Wars, which is sort of retread anything, which is it, it give in to. And and I have to say, even though I don't like episodes one, two, and three, three I I think is okay. I like three three is fine. But but even though I don't, I think they are largely failures. I do give him credit for. Really trying to invent an entirely new w- set of worlds and circumstances and characters every single time. To keep it fresh every single film. To not sort of go back to the same well and, and reference something. Because that's easy. That's kind of easy to do.
1: Well, this um, whole screenplay is nothing but references is, to the other Nothing films.
0: but referential. I mean, the, the, as, as people have pointed out many, many times, it almost clones... You know, A New Hope. It almost clones the original Star Wars in numerous. You got the cantina, and you got the, the, the You know, Daisy Ridley is basically Luke Skywalker scavenging for stuff, and BB-8 is C-3PO, and you got Andrew the,
1: Isaac is basically Harrison Ford, the roguish, charming, charming
0: pilot, and you, you know, you got the message and the attack, and you put the thing in the robot and send the robot off. But that's I mean, JJ's like,
1: thing. But it did, he did the same thing with Star Trek, which is that he's able to take. He's able to somehow. Create this new experience from old parts. Yes, where the people recognize the old parts and like the old parts, but they also appreciate the fact that it is, it is new enough and feels new enough that it does really maintain some freshness.
0: It does indeed.
1: And uh, so I thought it was terrific. And I have to say, before we go on, the uh, the Blu-ray is just fantastic. It's I mean, the, it's, it's,
0: I, the the mix especially, right? The audio is oh, like the mix is beautiful to die for,
1: and the uh, you know that's. Uh, you, like all the fine-grained textures on the clothing, you can see all that detail. Yeah. When they walk into the Millennium Falcon, it's a little bit worn and weathered. You can see all little pock marks on the, on the insides and of the ship.
0: I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that it, it's interesting because this is actually this, – this is where we're going to go with a lot of this. This is a – this is, as a Blu-ray on – I think on most televisions, on most – even on a, on a 4K television, this upconverted is going to look better – than most of the hastily uh, dashed out uh, official 4K UHD Blu-rays.
1: I, I wish they had – I wish somehow there this was some a, arrangement that was made that they could – because if you put this out on 4K, this would move copies. This would oh move yeah. TVs. This would move Blu-ray players. Would. This would move you know all updated HDMI cables and everything you need to get the 4K experience. Well, this would move that.
0: If Sony I owned know. this franchise, I they would have done it. Disney, Disney has no vested interest in helping Sony out. I know. I know. So anyway. Um, so it's beautiful.
1: Flesh tones are great, yeah. and there's very few compression artifacts. There's obviously no print damage. And of it course, looks great.
0: Of course, you do get it with the Disney Anywhere code, so you can do your... you uh... you
1: watch on your iPhone, exactly as, as it was meant to be enjoyed. Exactly. <laughs> lots and lots of extras, by the way. Uh, there's like Secrets of the Force Awakens, which is like over an hour of stuff. Oh yeah, it's, it's There's the table it, it, there's the table read. It's funny because Building
0: building BB eight. Yeah. I'm putting the little he was robot cute.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to say that uh, it's also deleted scenes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which is something Lucas would never ever do. Never deleted have done. scenes. Um we we had to wait twenty years before we saw that 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 shot of the original um of the hut. Yeah. Before he became a big blob. Yeah. Um But I have to say that some of although the John Williams one is great because he's John Williams and I'll take whatever I can get from John Williams. Part of me almost thinks that there were too many extras. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I, with something like Star Wars, I want to keep the mystique there a little bit. I don't necessarily need to know how everything was done. Because it takes some of the mystique away. That, that's just me. I'm, I am yeah. I'm in the minority, and I understand why there's all these extras, and they're terrific extras. But um, some of these I did not watch just because I feel like, you know what? I, I just I think the film is terrific. I think he did a great job in a very, very difficult assignment. I mean, yeah. J.J. had to – this 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 movie had to be good enough to justify Disney's $4 billion purchase of Lucasfilm.
0: It, 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 there's a lot riding on it still. There's still a lot riding on yes. it. It, is, it has delivered. Uh, initially, but uh, the rest of the, the you know, it'll, it'll all be for naught if the rest of the films don't deliver as well. I mean, episodes 8 and 9 have to deliver. Rogue One has to deliver.
1: But the spin off ones, I feel, while while they all have to be good, and after a while, we're all going to get sick of Star Wars movies because Disney will be shoving them sure. down our throat every year, and we'll yeah. get tired of it. Yeah. Uh, the spin off movies like Rogue One, I'm a little less... To me, I feel like those are almost like the Star Wars animated cartoon yeah. shows. I hear you. Where they're, they're, they're canon, sure, but... The expectation is not as high.
0: Well, so there it is. We uh, we love the Force Awakens. We, we think it's a great Blu-ray, terrific Blu-ray. I mean, it's it's just
1: absolutely it's great. See, we're not haters, Wade. Not at all. Have we not proved the action? And, and that you know what? The,
0: the flight stuff, the fight, the the, the dogfight stuff, really good.
1: Yeah, it's really. It's good. It's all really good. It, sounds, lo- it looks beautiful. Sounds great. beautiful. Yeah. Again, it's it, it's a terrific. It's a terrific crafty, detailed script that creates all new myths. For the younger generation to enjoy while resurrecting the myths that we enjoyed as kids. It's a very crafty screenplay and very well done.
0: And speaking of resurrecting, uh, here's the film that resurrected a, a, uh, a 70 millimeter film format that had not been around for over 50 years. And it was the nemesis, or at least it saw Star Wars as its nemesis over the holiday period because. Uh, the director was actually visibly moved to tears because Star Wars and Disney were taking screens away from him. We're talking, of course, about Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight, uh, which is out on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital, uh, meaning ultraviolet. And uh, here's, you know, the Hateful Eight. I, I and I think I've said this before. I Quentin people like Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee and a few others desperately need people to rein them in. They are amazing talents who are their own worst enemies when they are unbridled. And when they start get to basically do anything that they want without anybody sort of tapping them on the shoulder and saying, "I think it should be shorter. I think maybe that's two movies instead of one." Just a little bit of judicious advice. And The Hateful Eight, remember he 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 leaked the screenplay originally. Uh, and screenplay
1: was leaked. Well, the screenplay and, was and, leaked. And he was not going to make the movie. He was so but pissed off. He,
0: see, do you think the screenplay was leaked without him knowing it? Do you, do you think he leaked it?
1: I think it was leaked without him knowing it because I think? think this guy is so proud of his writing and he's won, he's won Oscars for his I writing. I always
0: felt it was a lot of people feel he did it and that it was a publicity stunt to generate publicity for the movie.
1: So you're saying that, uh, it would get leaked. He would say, I'm not doing the movie. Yeah. The public would say, No, 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 you got to do the movie. You have to yeah. do the movie. And yeah. then that would create some, yeah. uh, uh, generate yeah. some buzz. Yeah. Yeah. There was. There Why was, would he need that, though? Uh, Does he know, need that? I don't know. But and did it, it help it just, ultimately? It just, By the way, this thing underperformed, so it did not help ultimately. No, it did not. Well,
0: here's the thing Hateful Eight, of course, uh, was shot in Ultra Panavision 70, which is, is not just old, you know, 65 millimeter, 70 millimeter projected. You know, widescreen format. It is an anamorphic 70 millimeter format, which means it's that, that you you have to put these anamorphic lenses on the camera and on the projector, so that you get an even wider image. It had not. Khartoum back in whatever it was, sixty five yeah, or sixty four, yeah. was the last film to actually use this. So I mean, even you know, this is this has not been not this format has not been seen in in generations. And uh, he and, and Robert Richardson went and resurrected it and got the old cameras and dusted them off and cleaned them up and shot this thing and, and gave us a, a three-hour-plus movie.
1: That was all shot in one location. It was
0: basically all shot in one room. <laughs> and, you know, and, so, and, and to be honest, too, look, Ennio Morricone, good on you. Go and get Enya Morricone and get him an Oscar for, for It's a crap score. It's
1: not a good score. It's not a good score. Well, you know what? He, he, had, he admitted that he, he wrote his music without even seeing the film. He was just inspired by this and that, and then the music editor took what he wrote and made it into a score. Uh, It's it's, just—it is not. It was not a great score. It it was just the Academy's. They were either going to give it to Morricone or John Williams.
0: In, in this but John case, Williams has
1: won plenty of look, uh, Oscars. Th- and- this
0: is one of those cases where they did for a composer what they often do for actors, which is okay. This is likely the last time that Ennio Morricone will be nominated for anything, so let's just, we'll give it to him now for everything he's done before. Because everybody else here has either won or will likely have a chance to win again. So they gave it to him. Sure, he could have he could literally could have written like six minutes of of you know hip hop for this thing, and they would have given him an Oscar. It just it it anyway. So, um, but, I mean, as for the movie itself, it's basically a kind of a standard Tarantino thing. It is long and indulgent, and it's got a lot of clever stuff in it, and it flips back and forth in time, and it plays with the format, um, you know, set right after the Civil War. I don't think we're telling anybody anything they don't already know. It's right after the Civil War, and it's, you know, a couple of bounty hunters and uh, in the blizzard, everybody holes up in this haberdashery, Minnie's haberdashery. And, of course, then the question is, who is not what they're pretending to be? Who's planning on double-crossing whom? You know, what's the scam here? And it gets very Reservoir Dogsy all of a sudden. And then, you know, you eventually fill in all the blanks. And it's a it's a clever kind of a playful narrative with some good performances. Sam Jackson is great. Kurt Russell is great. Um, Everybody's fine. Jennifer that, Jason Lee just- is great.
1: But it's 3 hours long. You know what it it is, doesn't need to be. It's a th- it's 3 hours of teasing and stretching this idea of who is the traitor and who is the killer yeah. and whatever. it just and then finally about half an hour before the end it finally gets going. Yeah, you know, when it, it comes it, to that uh, little bit of uh, kind of a fun conclusion.
0: I just it just I, it,
1: I I just don't know that it's a particular evolution in the way that Tarantino directs or it writes. Should it should
0: not have been an 80 million dollar movie. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been a three-hour, $80 million movie in Ultra Panavision. This should have been like a 110-minute movie shot in really good 35 and made for like $25 million or $20 million. Yeah, And it would have end, been fine. It would have made more money. It would have been the same film. It would have been the same film. It just it didn't need all of this, Um, and then they also, you know, they they had the same thing that 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 afflicted the uh, the Revenant. They couldn't find snow, you know. Both those movies were looking for snow, shooting at the same time of year, and they were both in Canada, and there was no snow in Canada, so they had to go find snow elsewhere. And of course, the Revenant went to Argentina, and I don't know where they went, but anyway, uh, Hateful Eight. So, you know, it it's got loaded
1: some, and it's self indulgent and it, it uh, won it's an got Oscar, some Nice moments. and uh, it Won
0: an Oscar for, for Marconi, which is saying something. Anyway, uh, not really many special features here, to be honest, <laughs> which surprised me. Um, there's a, it's just featurette stuff, and one of them is the Sam Jackson's guide to 70 millimeter, uh, which is, 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 you know, everyone's seen it online already. So, I mean, I was surprised that there was not at the very least. A Robert, an extensive Robert Richardson featurette on the format where you're here are the cameras and here's what we did. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like of all the
1: things, you would that's that's the the selling point of the whole film.
0: Like, I would have expected that at the very least, like a a 60 minute Robert Richardson hosted uh, mini documentary about Ultra Panavision 70. Like, that's that's really I would have loved that, but no such thing.
1: Hello, I'm Robert Richardson. So essentially, here's here's what uh, here's what yeah. uh, you should do. Yeah. You should watch this film on your PlayStation 4, mm-hmm. and then you should watch it at, at 1.5 speed because if you watch it at 1.5 speed, it'll go by whatever, 50% faster, yeah. and you can still understand all the dialogue. So that way, you get a three-and-a-half-hour film in yes. in about, uh, you know let's say, 2.45. Okay. You save a half an hour of your life. Good call. Wow. Let's do it. Let's Bravo. Do it now.
0: All right, carrying on. Um I can talk about Mojave now, or do you want to talk about something?
1: Else? I I could talk about uh, Tumble Down, which Go is kind of a Tumble, surprise.
0: Down. tumble Us Down.
1: First time director, uh, Sam, uh Sean Mewshaw, writes this film about uh the scholar played by Jason Sudeikis, who every once in a while does these dramatic kind of dramatic-y films. I think he's pretty good. And he he comes to he's in Maine, he's interviewing this uh this singer, and then they decide to uh, write a write a biography together, autobiography together. And uh, I kind of like this movie. This movie was uh, – it was light and it was fun and it, ha- it had a lot to say about about the nature of loss and letting go and there was a bunch of humor. I, it had a certain amount of heart. I felt it was kind of poignant. Um, Tumble Down is good. You know, Jason Sudeikis, he's developing as a dramatic actor. He's not a great dramatic actor. Rebecca Hall. Uh, I love Rebecca Hall. She's fantastic. Uh, she's great in everything. So she is terrific. It also uh, features Blythe Danner and uh, Griffin Dunn. Who that guy still gets work, Griffin Dunn, God love him. Anyway, um, so Tumbledown, if you want to check out kind of a romantic dramedy, more drama than comedy, I would think, that really has some kind of a sweet and um, poignant things to say, uh, I would check out uh, Tumbledown. There's not a lot in terms of uh, extras because really, who cares? You just It's just a making of and something about the music, which is kind of a throwaway. But uh, otherwise, uh, Sean uh, Mewshaw, he can put together a good film. I like this movie. It's kind of cute. I like it. It's good. Yeah, it's
0: okay. I, you like it more than I do, but uh, I, I do love Rebecca Hall. So uh, I'm, I'm guess I'm more forgiving. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, good. It's fine. Uh, Mojave. He, he, he's
1: married to uh, uh, Olivia Wilde.
0: Well, that's or right. Something like that.
1: Yeah. I saw Olivia Wilde at LACMA, Right. Mm-hmm. There was, I think it was during one of those uh, live reads that Jason yeah. Reitman does. Sure. And Olivia Wilde, like when you see her on TV and in mm-hmm. film, she's the most beautiful thing that ever existed. Right. Just, ooh, I, I think I hit the mic. That's okay. Uh, she's the most beautiful thing that ever existed. Right. And then I saw her in person, and obviously she's magnificent, but I have to right. say, she has a huge Jay Leno chin. Really? You can tell by the pictures that she seems wow. to have a very uh, uh, strong, square mm-hmm. sure. jaw. Yeah. She does in person. It's All even right. squarer, and, uh, squarer and... And joyer? And <laughs> joyer in person. But I'm being obviously... A, 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 cheeky and unfair because she's obviously magnificent
0: so uh, Mojave is, uh, is an interesting little indie uh, Oscar Isaac signed up on this with, uh, along with uh, uh, Garrett Hedlund and it is you know Garrett Hedlund I cannot look at Garrett Hedlund without feeling like he is uh, he's Heath Ledger
1: I mean, he He wishes he he was Heath Ledger, but you
0: know what I'm saying. It's just everything about him is so Heath Ledgery.
1: Really? Yeah, he just
0: looks like him. He's got the mannerisms. It's weird.
1: His career is not really going. Yeah, it's not. But it's sort of.
0: It's sort of the same way that I felt in the early days with Leonardo DiCaprio, where I just felt like he was just weird, creepy, sudden reincarnation of uh, River Phoenix. Right? Did you ever feel like that?
1: Oh, Garrett Edlund?
0: No, DiCaprio. That DiCaprio was a reincarnation of River Phoenix in a way. He, like, the, yeah, he I never put those two together. But manner, it
1: just wh- how anyway. does Garrett Hedlund?
0: Because Garrett Hedlund to Heath Ledger, it's just I don't know. I don't dies, know, man. I,
1: the, s- I saw a lot of depth in Heath, in Heath, depth in Heath Ledger. I, too, I, but, I don't see that in well, Garrett anyway. Hedlund.
0: So Mojave is basically why about, don't we just
1: why don't we just say that that theory went nowhere? Okay, the, the bridge went was out on the road. So to, here's uh, the deal.
0: Here's the deal. Yeah. Ge- uh, Garrett Hedlund plays this uh, this movie star who's just he's he can't handle his fame and success. He hates life and he's out in the middle of the desert just trying to sort of figure it all out. And uh, he's approached by this really creepy drifter dude with bad teeth, Oscar Isaac, who is messing with his head. Um, I will leave it right there and tell you that this eventually becomes very Hitchcockian in The uh, Strangers on a Train and even almost Polanski-like. It gets very stalkery. And next thing you know, Oscar Isaac is... He he is like this psychotic mastermind who was is going to unbelievable lengths to not leave Garrett Headland alone, and he's messing with his life in a profoundly disturbing way. Uh, the reason this thing works is not because it's it's a good story or anything. It's not particularly original. It's written and directed by William Monahan, who of course won an Oscar for The Departed. Uh, and and it's fine. It's a fine script, and it's you know it's fine in every way, but. It, but it works because Oscar Isaac is so freaking good. He is—I mean, today is Oscar Isaac Day. He is so amazing in this. He's creepy. He's devious. Um, he's this dejected genius, you know, who knows that there's no reason why he should be homeless. He's—it's like he's too smart for the world, uh, and he's going to get back at everybody. He—he he is, he is as smart as he is lacking in ethics and morality. And, That's what they say about me.
1: I'm as smart as I'm lacking in ethics and morality.
0: I know. I've heard that. Wow. Anyway, deleted scenes and uh, featurette, and that's uh, and that's all you get here. But it you do get ultraviolet, and you get the regular Blu-ray, and uh, you get a ridiculous pull quote on the cover from somebody named Brett Arnold at Business Insider that says, "This thriller with a Star Wars star is a must see."
1: It's allowed them to get the word Star I mean, Wars. That's
0: all. That's the only reason that pull quote is there, so that they have a quote that actually says Star Wars. People will see Star Wars. Oh, okay. Fascinating.
1: Speaking of uh, nothing, The Hallow is a horror film that uh, I actually kind of liked, and I'm not really a fan of these sorts of movies. It's um, directed by this guy, Corin Hardy, who is a uh, he's some sort of a visual artist, and uh, this movie looks good. It's about uh, this conservationist, and uh, he's sent to Ireland, he's got a wife and kid, and they go into the forest to survey this forest, and of course, there's uh, locals, and the locals are crazy and superstitious, and there's demonic creatures. And uh, you know, I thought the um, the performances were good. Um, it's got an ecological theme, which which certain segments of the world may not like, but then again, at least the horror film is trying something different, which sure. I kind of liked. Sure, why not? And uh, yeah, so I thought it was a horror film that had a little bit of something to say, and uh, I thought it was well directed. I thought it was well shot. I think this thing is, uh, this corn um, Hardy, he might uh, go on to do some uh, other better things. And uh, it's fairly scary. So The Hollow um, actually was a bit of a uh, surprise. A little kind of a s- scary fantasy. Not Guillermo del Toro, because that's um, giving it too much credit. But sure. uh, in, in that kind of like, you know, the the low-rent sort of Guillermo you know, yeah. like del Toro-y thing. Of course. Uh, the Hollow.
0: Yeah.
1: Now we also have a movie that um, also... Tried to be something and didn't, but you kind of have to give it a little bit of credit. Is this thing called hashtag horror? And uh, it it's start- act,
0: and it's not spelled hashtag. It's actually the like you know. Tic Tac Yeah, the thing, the symbol. The
1: Tic Tac Toe board. The
0: pound, symbol. which by the way
1: allows it to be like like first in the in the horror section of the of the DVD store.
0: People have to yes exactly. People have to decide what we're going to call that symbol. Is it the tic-tac-toe symbol? Is it, it a number? Is it a oh, number? it's hashtag st- now. It's hashtag. Is it number? Is it pound? No, it's,
1: it's, it's been totally... It used to be tic-tac-toe and used to be number. Now it's completely co-opted well, it as pound, a hashtag.
0: But on the phone, it's like, please press the pound key. No, they it is... They still say that.
1: It is hashtag. Okay. Um, what I liked about this film is that it sets up these... Uh, first of all, it's got a better cast than it deserves. Um, it was directed by uh, Tara Subkoff. Uh, she's an actress. She was in The Cell and i like that it sets up these group of uh, teens who are you know they're addicted to their cell phones they're privileged and they're bratty and so you you kind of don't like them to begin with but you feel like maybe there's some sort of comment that's being made on just how addicted teenage girls are to their phones or preteen girls are to their phones and what that means in terms of communication and getting along and friendships and, and of course a lot of that stuff kind of goes away once you start getting into the you know the the Talk about you know the horror and blood and and bulimia. Mm-hmm. Bulimia is uh, is um, name checked here. Um, so look, I mean, I, I think there's some good stuff. as you kind of get to know these girls. I like that. I think that actually the uh, the horror stuff is kind of the least interesting part of it. But um, you know, you got to give uh, just like with the the hallow, you got to give uh, Tara Subkoff uh, credit for trying something sure. uh, new and interesting, even though um, it ultimately is okay.
0: Yeah. All right, so we got another 4K title this week, uh, 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, and uh, before I get into uh, talking a little bit about Concussion, which I think is a very good film.
1: I I, think it's a good film, too.
0: I think it's a really good film. It's uh, it's like 80%, 75% of The Insider, would you say?
1: Well I I revere The Insider.
0: The Insider is a masterpiece. Yes. It's extraordinary. This is this is to the uh, NFL concussion thing what The Insider was to obviously Tobacco yes. and 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 all of that. It's about, you know, it's a it's a whistleblower movie. It's basically somebody who says I'm going to, you know, I've got to tell the truth about this thing and then the giant corporate machinery descends on them and makes their life miserable to try to silence them. And it's so it's essentially the same trajectory, not quite as as powerful, but awfully good. And Will Smith makes you forget that he's Will Smith very quickly. You but know here- what? He's
1: very good in it. He really, really is. Good. I don't know whether it was the accent that allowed him to kind of like enter the character and kind of disappear more than he usually does. Because normally a Will Smith movie, yeah. he's Will Smith. Yeah. Whether whether it's Wild, Wild West or whatever he's in, Independence Day, he's just Will Smith. Well for this is one of the first times I felt like he was actually he took this. He took it seriously. He nailed the accent. He disappeared inside of it. I, and for I about
0: was, two second, for about two seconds, I was like, "That's Will Smith doing a Nigerian accent." He's talking like this. He's talking, he's Will Smith, and he's talking with a very strange. Niger- uh, he he was, was then, able to
1: use that. And, and,
0: but you know what? Honestly, after about two seconds, I was in.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it took it took that long for me to just forget that he was Will Smith.
1: And this, anyway. of course, was was during the uh, the Oscar so white controversy. And I have to say that, you know, if the film had done better and maybe made a bigger impact in terms of the NFL changing their rules, he would have been nominated for an Oscar. But the thing is that the film didn't do very well.
0: Well, the film didn't do very well. And the other thing is it was really – you know Sony did not do a very good job promoting it, frankly. They really didn't. They didn't heavily promote it to us. They didn't heavily promote it to other critics' groups. They really didn't uh, put it out there as an awards contender, uh, which I find strange. But anyway – uh, so here's the thing. Uh, there are two things about 4K titles that I'm finding very interesting going forward. One of them is that they have this they're, – they're putting these little – almost a warning sign on the back that says to play this back with HDR, you need a 4K UHD television with HDR, an Ultra HD Blu-ray player, and high-speed HDMI 2.0 cable." Now, that's that right there is a, is a turnoff because people, any obviously anybody who already has that system knows that. So what you're doing is you're you're sort of warning people away from buying this if they haven't upgraded their system yet. I don't know that that's going to encourage them to upgrade the system. I think that's going to make them just say too much trouble. I'll buy the lower the lower tier. So I think this you're almost building in an elitist notion about this. And the other interesting thing is. Um, you know, these come with a Blu-ray and with uh, a the 4K Blu-ray. So you get the two discs in it. So you automatically get the Blu-ray. But because so much of the capacity is dedicated to the movie, you can't put any extras onto a single 4K disc. So all the extras have to go on the Blu-ray. So yes, you can watch this amazing 4K resolution and kick-butt audio, and you can just get the full thing. But if you want to watch the extras, you still got to pop the disc out put the Blu-ray in. Uh, and uh, but so many of those
1: extras were shot on, you know, digital, true. camcorder camcorder type. Say, let's say
0: you want the, the commentary. You got the commentary with uh, Peter Landisman, which is quite good, actually. It's a very interesting commentary. Uh, you have to listen to that watching the movie in HD, not 4K.
1: Also, oh, you can't access the commentary when you watch it. Correct. On uh, in 4K. Correct. Interesting.
0: So. Anyway, uh, but, you know, you get some featurettes and deleted scenes and then obviously the commentary, all of which are attached to the Blu-ray, not to the 4K version, the 4K Blu-ray. So anyway, that is a that is a conundrum that I'm not sure is going to continue to work out well for this. I think a lot of people are going to want to say, I want to watch the movie and then I want to hear the commentary and I don't want to have to put the Blu-ray in instead of the 4K. I want my commentary alongside the movie. And they got to figure out how they're going to do that, frankly. So anyway, uh, but there it is. That's Concussion. And then uh, we've also got an interesting little Canadian Western with Kiefer Sutherland and his dad, Donald Sutherland, who uh, I think have only shown up in a movie together once before, maybe? Or is this the first time? Star Wars? Oh, there you go. Anyway, uh, so this was at the Toronto Film Festival last year and got pretty good reaction. It's a a Canadian Western. And, you know, any time the Sutherlands show up in something, that's usually why, because they're Canadian and... They can get Canadian money to uh, make it work. So they, they'll they go home and they'll make a Canadian film. Anyway, uh, essentially, Kiefer Sutherland plays an ex-gunfighter who's hung up his guns, who gets drawn back in to pick him up and do, you know, it's that, it's that old thing. Uh, and, you know, he's the son of a reverend. Uh, Donald Sutherland plays a reverend who's been estranged from his son for many years and doesn't like the lifestyle that he turned to and... Now he's trying. You know, it's it's that whole redemption thing and then of course the, you know, it always centers on some mad land baron or somebody who's trying to rip everybody off or control the town and that of course is Brian Cox, who's great. We love Brian Cox. Love Brian Cox. Yep. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty standard issue western. It doesn't do anything that we haven't seen that wasn't I mean, this this exact narrative was like, you know, every third or fourth western in the 1950s and 60s and it's been the subject of at least three or four in just the past 3 years. And it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's nothing special, but it's competent.
1: Wade, we, we have a lot of stuff uh, still to talk yep, about. However, I have to say, why don't you tell people what I'm wearing?
0: <sighs> Mark is wearing a, an official Mets jersey from the World Series. Yes. Number? 33. Who is? I don't know. Oh, dear. Here we go. Harvey. The The giant rabbit? The...
1: No, it is the ace of our staff. Now, as we record this, no. the Mets are hours away from starting their 2016 campaign uh-huh. as they uh, take on the Kansas City Royals in a rematch of last year's World Series, which I went to. I went to games uh, two, three, and four. I spent way. I spent. Oh, I spent over fifteen hundred dollars per ticket. Per ticket. Madman. To go to uh, games two, three, and four, and you. by the way, that includes that does not include airfare. I had to fly there. You New are York. crazy, man. And uh, hotel. All right. But that's how much I love the Mets. That's how much I like seeing the Mets break my heart in person as okay. opposed to seeing them break my heart on TV, which I will surely do tonight. All right.
0: Well, anyway, uh, real quickly, three little uh, movies that are on DVD. Um, uh, one is a, an interesting little uh, indie called Dixieland starring Chris Zilka, Riley Keough or cough. Don't know how that's – Keough. Is it Keough? Correct uh faith hill even pops in on this thing uh this is just one of those little gritty indie romance things about a guy who's um you know who, who kind of messed up his life and wound up in prison and he comes home and tries to you know get his life straight and falls for this girl played by keo and uh it's sort of you know how they sort of try to make their lives work and not get dragged down by all of their baggage in the horrible little town of the whole thing. I mean, we, you know, it, it, star-crossed lovers. We've seen it a million times. Uh, this is from IFC. It's got an interesting commentary from the uh, writer-director Hank Bedford and Chris Zilka, the actor. Some deleted scenes. Nothing really spectacular, but it's one of those little indies that makes you think, okay, fair enough. You got it done. You did well. Um, you people have chops. You didn't totally screw it up, so you've earned the right to certainly step it up in the next, with the next film. Hopefully somebody else will throw you a bone. So, nothing great to say, but Nothing bad to say either. It's it's tough to get a movie made, so good for, good on them.
1: Wait, can I uh, talk to you about a film directed by a uh, Declan Dale? Yeah, go ahead. You want to know why I want to talk to you about why? a film called Declan Dale? Why? Because Declan Dale does not exist. Really? Declan Dale uh, is the uh, Alan Smithy pseudonym <laughs> that was taken by a director named uh, G. Malik Linton. No kidding. In a film called Exposed. And this stars Keanu Reeves.
0: So is Alan Smithy officially retired?
1: I don't know. I'm not sure why. Uh, I wonder if it's... Uh... UK thing? I don't even know. Anyway, so um, Keanu Reeves, who has entered his uh, Nick Cage phase, yeah. which means that he just sort of does stuff, and a, wa- a lot of it winds up just dumped into straight-to-Blu-ray or straight-to-DVD or straight-to-whatever, mm. although I do love John Wick. John Wick, good movie. Mm-hmm. Sweet. like that yeah. movie. Anyway, uh, here uh, uh, he plays a uh, police detective, and he meets this, um, this Dominican woman who is played by Anna – the Armas who was very good actually they starred in a, in a, another film earlier called Knock Knock which is kind of an interesting movie you should check out Knock Knock way before you check out Exposed. Anyway so uh, Reeves plays this uh, detective who runs into this Dominican woman and she she thinks she sees ghosts and angels and then she becomes pregnant and then she believes that her pregnancy is kind of a bit of a miracle and the family argues with her about it it's just very silly and uh, I just think this thing is a total waste I don't know what Keanu Reeves saw in this but, um, yeah, I would definitely pass Unexposed. But check out Knock Knock. Interesting movie, that movie. That movie. That Knock Knock movie.
0: So uh, Curveball is uh, it's uh, not great, but it, it's so-so. It's, it's you know, it, like good TV movie fare is sort of what it feels more like. Uh, basically story of a uh, guy who was, uh, you know, all – all, he baseball was always sort of his saving grace, and uh, he's got a good best friend and then the best friend starts to sort of drag him down into a, a bad lifestyle and he's got to figure out uh, how to pull himself out again. Uh, it, 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 this is one of those sort of coming of age slash redemption movies and uh, you know where what's more important, friendship or doing the right thing, blah 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 blah. A lot of those sort of eth- big ethical rainbows that bend themselves over the story. It's okay. Uh Lynn Whitfield shows up in this, uh, probably the most noteworthy name anywhere in this, and she's aging rather nicely, I have to say. I always liked Lynn Whitfield, but she deserves to be doing things better than just showing up as like moms and teachers and principals and you well, know, when judges you're a woman and, who gets to be a certain age and you yeah. look and you
1: look like her, I mean she's a you know pretty woman, but I'm saying yeah. she looks very patrician a little bit. You know, it's just, she's it's, a bit it's, of an authority figure.
0: I just get very worried now whenever I see a movie that says and Lynn, Lynn Whitfield and Lynn Whitfield. It usually means oh, because now she's just trading on her name, and she's you know working for three days, and she's showing up, and she's taking a payday for basically a cameo. And it's she's a better actress than that anyway. And then uh, this is a weird little movie, The Von Trapp Family: A Life of Music. If ever when there was something you you don't want to actually try to replicate, it's the sound of music. There's some things you just leave alone. And uh, anyway, Agatha Von Trapp wrote a, a memoir. Um, about her, you know, life before and after everything that takes place in The Sound of Music, and they decided for some strange, bizarre reason to actually make a movie of it, Uh, which is fine, I guess. Um, It's not horrible, but it's just sort of why. The whole thing strikes you as, okay, so this is kind of not necessary, uh Matthew Mcfadden is is uh maybe the most significant figure in this and he's he's decent but um I really really don't understand why this was made anyway at all. So anyway, uh if you if you feel like you didn't get enough von Trapp story out of the uh out of the Sound of Music, if you want something that's perhaps less overtly Broadway musical and uh, has some nice scenery and uh, maybe a little bit closer to historical accuracy. That matters to you uh then I guess the, the von Trapp family a life of music is your thing couple of featurettes that's it all right mark um got a couple uh european uh mhz titles here m h z of course does foreign language uh television primarily cop television stuff and uh Mammon is uh, is pretty great uh Mammon is a uh, is a fascinating conspiracy thriller that was uh really really popular in its native Norway this is like almost you know seven, 6 about 6 hours long on 3 DVDs so this is a you know this is it's a it's a long slog but it's a really really interesting the procedural aspect of it really really is incredibly engaging and um it, it it's almost noirish at a certain point um Starts with a whole lot of you know. It starts with like political fraud and international banking, and eventually becomes a very very creepy kind of a personal story. And it's um, you know it it really it's a it, it's it's quite uh, it's quite all encompassing, include you know the from the cops and the reporters and the whole thing. So um, it's really worth checking out. It's really uh, really solid stuff. I can see this thing probably getting remade here in a really bad way. And uh, then much more My Speed, which I think is one of the most interesting things that MHC has come up with, is The Heavy Water War. And uh, this is is really, really first rate. This is also Norwegian. Uh, This is uh, significantly shorter. This is a little bit over four hours, just shy of five hours long, also on three DVDs. And this is the entire—this is a story that has been told in such a stupid way so many times. I think there was even a Hogan's Hero episode where they were trying to prevent a delivery of heavy water. Uh, This is, you know, as everybody I think probably knows, the Nazis were trying to develop the atomic bomb as well during World War II. So it wasn't just that we had the Manhattan Project going and uh, you know we were just waiting to see how long it would take us to get it. There was a race to to uh, to get the atomic bomb. The Nazis were were working very. If they had gotten it first. Game over, right? I mean, you know, you're, then you're dropping atomic bombs on New York and, and on London and uh, on, you know, every major city of every country. Next thing you know, the, Germany controls the world and Japan, obviously, and Germany would probably bomb Japan after that. So, uh, you know, there, there was an active effort to prevent Germany from getting the atomic bomb, and that is what the heavy water war is all about. And uh, it is—it uh, starts in 1933, and you know, moves through the years. And it is—it's—it's it's really quite amazing. It's very all-encompassing, and it's a really well-written, really well-executed drama. And I—I I think this is just one of the. This is a, a really a, a diamond uh, for people to discover. Uh, do not let this one pass. The Heavy Water War is a really, really, really cool miniseries.
1: Look at you, Wade. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. I watched a documentary that uh, about a guy I knew nothing about, and music I don't even like, <laughs> but uh, I like this documentary. It's called uh, El Camino Mas Largo, and here's the deal. There's a guy named Enrique Bunbury. Now, when your name is Bunbury already, you know, you've, you're already a little strange. And um, this guy in 2010, he's, he's, he's big in Latin America. And in 2010, he played this huge show at Azteca Stadium in Mexico. He became like the first solo Spanish solo artist to like perform a concert in front of 90,000 people in Latin America. And so based on this success, a couple of a few months later, he decides to tour America. Because it's funny with music where you feel as if musicians feel, overseas musicians feel that they haven't made it till they've made it in America. They all feel that way. Actors, too. So this guy decides to go on a tour of uh, of America. And El Camino Mas Largo is all about this guy's tour of the United States. And um, I liked it. I, I, what I liked about it is that it allows you to experience American culture in towns like Miami, New Orleans, from a, a different perspective. Yeah. And this guy is a bit of a character with his red tie, and he's got big oversized gestures and, and whatnot. And... Um, I thought it was great. The concert footage was very good. Um, the interviews were good. Again, I, I enjoy the fact that I got to see parts of America from a different perspective. And uh, yeah, I liked El Camino Mas Largo. So if you like Spanish rock music, which I don't, but, um, but you want to see an interesting little travelogue film. And by the way, there's cats in it. There's a, there's a cute white nice. cat. There's, there's a, he's a white cat. He's very nice. cute. I forgot his name. But uh, I would like that white cat, but I'm probably not going to ever get that white cat because it belongs to uh, people in the movie. Anyway, um, good film, surprising little find, little gem, El Camino Mas Largo.
0: So uh, I want to make a quick mention of a whole bunch of titles from Indican. We we have not covered any Indican titles for years. I don't know how that uh, got disrupted. But uh, we have found each other again. And I want to give a shout-out to a few things from uh, Indican because they're a really good little distribution company theatrically and on DVD. And a lot of interesting and diverse stuff. So uh, give a little shout out to them. I got a little horror film here called Deadly Famous, which is, uh, you know, it's chilling and thrilling as as they should be. I got a film called Hot Water, which is uh, really quite an interesting um, documentary. Or people who, uh, you know, have it's it's a you know a conscience and environmental documentary, and uh, the filmmakers basically go on uh, kind of a cross country tour, looking for uh, you know uh, basically dealing with water contamination and all of the different things that uh, that contribute to it, from uranium mining and all this other stuff. So I mean, it's uh, it's it's a little depressing, but it's actually quite good and a pretty committed bunch of people a weird little comedy called Silent but Deadly from a um uh, from a uh, filmmaker named Jason Lockhart who I think could be doing bigger stuff this is almost a an exploitation comedy but it's got a weird cast and some very very strange scenes in it uh so not bad uh a reason is um uh, actually quite a good film uh made a whole, kind of made the tour of a lot of different festivals and was very well received in all of them. And uh, it's just a, basically a, a solid family drama. Um, can't really tell you much more than that. Uh, an action film called Downshift. Get through these as quickly as I can. Uh, interesting thriller called Blood and Circumstance, which is uh, based on a novel by Frank Turner Holland. Let me get to uh, here uh strangely in love, which is a modern day uh take on dostoyevsky's white Nights, did
1: you ever read white nights i did not I, I, look I, wait look at look what I'm about to read nineteen eighty
0: four Four. So get this. That's uh, so, a little out of date, don't you think?
1: So I uh, I have this beaten up, dog-eared uh, copy of Brave New World. Yes. And it came out when NBC did a miniseries with Care Delee mm-hmm. and Marcia Strassman. Yeah. Right? The wife of Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah. That's how lame it was. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? This thing's been staring at me for years. I'm going to read this thing. And I did. And I loved it. I I'd, I'd never read Brave New World. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Now this, I, I had read years ago, but I just they had this new one in the bookstore, and I decided so, to
0: reread it. So before I finish the last few films here from Indican, uh aren't you amazed with all of the junk that Hollywood keeps remaking and remaking and rebooting? Aren't you amazed that nobody? I mean, there was a Brave New World television movie, kind of. Yeah, mid, that was mid, the one. Mid nineties. That was the
1: one with Keir Dullea and uh, exactly. and Marsha Strassman.
0: Yeah. So so um, but there's another one too. There is. Yeah, there's another one. Hang on. There's another one. There's Brave a, there was another Brave New, Brave New World. World. That was like the last one that they did.
1: A uh, movie from 1980 to 1988. Now, the one in 1980... Oh, that one started... That's that's my book cover. Yeah, the one from 1980 has my book cover in the... Uh, okay. Although I threw it away because it was so dog-eared. Was uh, it, it, Bud was, Court as Bernard Marx. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway,
0: that's... bottom line. Aren't you amazed that as much as they have rebooted and rehashed that... Over the court past just the last ten years, that nobody has bothered to say, you know what? We could do a pretty amazing, big blockbustery Brave New
1: World. I know. I was reading it going, uh, th- it screams this movie. I mean this this book. It's like the network of books. Like you know, Network is yeah. still an amazing movie, even though a lot of it is lost on modern audiences in it's terms amazing. of how preachy it was. Brave New World, same thing. Make another one be awesome. It would be so, unbelievable. So there was one in, in 1998 with uh, Leonard Nimoy's Mustafa That's Mons. the
0: one I'm talking about. That's the one I'm talking Leonard
1: about. Leonard Nimoy, every non-Spock movie yes. he does, he's the best because he's got that weird look. Yeah. He's got that alien of look to him. Because he's Canadian. I know. That's yeah, what it is. No, because he's Jewish. That's what would really want to say, isn't no, it? I just want to make fun of
0: Canadians. Okay. Uh anyway, then uh, also from Indican a uh, a, a creepy kind of supernatural thriller called uh the uh the sideways light, definitely worth checking out. Uh a movie that I, I was shocked. I actually watched about 15 minutes of this and I've got to watch the rest of it. It's great. Eternity the movie. Uh this thing's a riot. It's just it's just so cheesy and so ridiculously silly. Um, it's it, 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 this, this is like a like a cheesy seventies and eighties. It's just I, I can't even I don't even know how to explain this. It's like if they if somebody went back and decided to make a cheesy seventies and eighties like disco rollerblading all the kits from that era and just ram it into one movie and just really amp it up like Spirit of Seventy Six. It's kind of that same vibe. Anyway, uh, so definitely check that out. By the way, did you see everybody's got everybody wants some? Have you I, seen did.
1: It? I did. I did. What do you it. think? Yeah, okay. You know, here, here's Fair the enough. thing. Here's, here's, my, here's my opinion about, about the new uh, yeah. uh, Richard Linklater film. Yeah, I, I, It's almost like a Star Wars or Star Trek reboot where, it, where it, it, it has the bones and the echoes of this other thing that we love yeah. and it tries to update it. And I feel like Richard Linklater is now 55 years old. I sort of feel like the movie was a little overwritten and too perfect and the characters were a little too smart.
0: I, I feel that way about almost all his films in the for, past 20 years. Uh,
1: for, like, who was that, that guy, Finn, who was like the philosopher yeah. on the baseball team? The guy talks like nobody I've ever met. By the
0: way, let me finish off the last of these. Uh, a Bit of Bad Luck, which has uh, Terry Polo and Carrie Elwes and not much else going for it. Uh, another little horror thing, Wings uh, w- Windsor Drive, which I uh, did not have a chance to look at, but I'm just going to give a quick mention. Um, another one that I did not have a chance to watch Me You and Five Bucks looks like an interesting little comedy uh, B-Boys which is you know it's a dancing thing and then lastly uh, Butterfly Girl which uh, has gotten some very very good reviews and I did not have a chance to watch this either but uh, looks, like, uh, looks like an interesting che- thing to check out so anyway Indican is back on the radar and uh, I've always liked them as a company I think they're a really solid company so go check out some of their stuff Wait, we have um oh two, s- s- you, you, by the way superman batman yes s- almost 70% drop off
1: you know uh, how insane the, is that he, th- here's that's the thing like,
0: that's like almost that's almost fantastic for drop off
1: well i have to say a lot of a lot of blockbusters drop off in that in that high 60s low a lot of them do but what's interesting that is, is huge. that no 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 you need to look at the friday to friday number the Friday to Friday number, right? It was like eighty percent. It dropped, dropped like it dropped eighty-one percent. That's huge. Eighty-one percent is embarrassing. Yeah, seventy. It's like okay, when you when you come out with one hundred and sixty-six yeah. million, you're going to drop a lot. But you know, eighty-one million drop from Friday to Friday. That just says that you know what the rank and file moviegoer, mm-hmm. as I think I said on Facebook, mm-hmm. they they're not they, they don't like it. The fanboys binged, and that's it.
0: I, I could have told him that.
1: But in the end, here's the thing. But you know what's funny is that the studios are so deluded. They'll be like, well, who cares? Look look, look at the bottom line. We've made 250 total. We've made half a billion dollars globally. It's a hit. It's a great film. Go, Zach, go. In, in, in the meantime, so it's just embarrassing to me. Anyway, we have um, four movies. No, we have eight movies on two DVDs. And if you buy any of these from Mill Creek... I'm gonna personally come to your house and kill you.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's mult. This is the whole multi-disc thing, you know. If you don't have a lot of money and you just want to, I don't know. You, know, you, you get you, there's a couple of decent films in,
1: in there. No, there are actually there's decent films in both of these. But one is called the Romance Four in One Collection, which includes the Scarlet Letter, Feast in July, Washington Square, and Jefferson in Paris. Now, Jefferson in Paris. And Feast of July. I mean, that's Merchant Ivory time. You know, Jefferson in Paris was was a was a highly anticipated but a bit of a failure directed by James Ivory. It, Jefferson in
0: Paris was also after they had their big Oscar nominated streak uh, with you know Remains of the Day and uh, all the all the you know the the, the, the uh, what else Howard Zand and uh, Room with a View. They got a Disney deal. And that was the first film out of the Disney deal. And it was kind of a stinker because the Disney didn't really want them. They wanted their notoriety and it didn't really work out. But anyway.
1: Then there's also the Thriller 4-in-1 collection, which includes uh, Playing God with Angelina Jolie, Before and After with Meryl Streep and Liam Neeson, uh, the Rich Man's Wife with Halle Berry, and then the only one that uh, matters, is Veronica Guerin with Kate Blanchett, because everything Kate Blanchett does matters, because I love her. It's really good, actually. That's it's a good Veronica movie. Guerin. That's a good yeah, movie. I mean, there, are
0: few, there have been a few films on Veronica Guerin's uh, whole thing. She's, you know, the Irish journalist who went after, among other people, the uh, the character that uh, Brendan Gleeson plays in... Uh, in uh, John, Star Wars? No, in, in the John Borman film, the... Uh, about the the the, 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 the,
1: the oh the, uh, the, uh, the the
0: the yeah you know what I'm talking about <laughs>
1: hang
0: on. famous gangster the... famous gangster hang Fly on
1: right. uh, don't stop the recording yeah oh <laughs> uh... we're getting old I don't remember yeah uh, uh, Brendan Gleeson uh, John Borman uh, yada, 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 it's, it's, it's yada, gonna yada, it's gonna kill me when it, when it right. pops up yes it will the general the general oh, I love that movie so by so, the way go rent the gen- that's a Veronica, good movie the General's a good movie it is a good movie
0: so Veronica Guerin basically was one of the journalists who tried to take down the general. So it's a kind of a different take on that. But anyway, there have been a few other films that deal with the story. Joan Allen was in one that I thought was very, very good as well. So anyway. Um, all right, uh, Mark, let's hit some, uh, some, some, some t- classic stuff. Let's go into the, uh, catalog titles for the little time that we have left. Um, I got a stack of uh, interesting little one-offs here. Uh, one from Shout Factory. Dude, do you remember the Gong Show movie? Do you seriously I do. remember they made this? Yes, I had totally yes. forgotten that the Gong 100%. Show movie existed. Oh my gosh. Dun, Shout dun, Factory dun, just dun, oh.
1: dun. and by the way, Gene G the Dancing Machine—he died recently. I
0: know. Well, uh, you know, this is just weird. Uh, I, of course, I love the uh, the George Clooney film. Uh, all about Chuck Beres. Confessions, Barris, of, in,
1: a uh, Confessions uh, of a Dangerous Mind. Confessions
0: of a Dangerous Mind with Sam Rockwell. Just an amazing performance. that should have been Oscar nominated. should have won. Uh, the Gong Show movie, uh, it, it just is one of the strangest things ever, ever, ever created. I, I just can't believe they made this into a movie. I, I Still, in hindsight, I it just brings it all back. Um, nothing on this Blu-ray other than an audio commentary with pop culture historian Russell Dieball. Which is really good, just the same. I mean, it really contextualizes everything wonderfully. And uh, it's just a strange movie, man. It is so strange. And what's really, really bizarre is I didn't even realize who co-wrote this. Do you know, you know who co-wrote this with Barris? I do not. Robert Downey Sr.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: I mean, how, you know, which is, of course, Robert Downey Jr.'s dad, who was a bit of a B-movie filmmaker in his day as well. But that says
1: trippy and cool to me. But but Robert Downey Senior. That yeah. says this is not a normal film.
0: This is not a normal film. This is just such yeah. a strange movie. And uh, anyway, anyway. Um, check it out. It's an, it's a one of those cultural artifacts that just belongs to a certain era, and you just it, it, you'll go nuts. You'll go nuts watching it. You won't believe it exists. Um, the Arrow Collection that is released through uh, MVD continues to amaze me with some of the cool stuff they pull out. They, of course, have released a lot of really great B movie and exploitation and black exploitation titles, and this is one of the all time best black exploitation titles ever. It's really almost transcends black exploitation. This is Black Mama White Mama with uh, Margaret Markoff and Pam Greer, one of the coolest Pam Greer performances ever. And uh, essentially, this is a um, the, the idea here is that it's it's a little bit like The Defiant Ones, the old Stanley Kramer movie, um, and it uh, it sort of takes The Defiant Ones and drops it into a, a women-in-prison thing with a racial aspect, and uh, you come up with a movie that really, for all, everything that went into it, should not be as cool as it is, but it is. And, uh, you know, you have an a co- couple of escaped female convicts, one black, one white. And uh, you, that's like a perfect kind of a desert island scenario to explore all kinds of really great cultural and racial aspects from the era. It's cool. DVD and a Blu-ray included in this. And uh, it looks great. The transfers are fantastic. Uh, and then uh, three other films here on Blu-ray to make mention of. Super fast. Ken Loach film called Blackjack, which is a uh, kind of one of the lesser known Ken Loach films, actually, on a Blu-ray from Cohen. Uh, This is an adaptation of the Leon Garfield novel. It is not at all what you would normally expect from Ken Loach, and it's a a nice rediscovery. This is like from the late 70s, and a pretty decent family film, which I can't really always say about Ken Loach movies. And then the, uh, the sexploitation film Felicity, which is out now from Severin on Blu-ray. I don't need to actually tell you what Felicity's all about. It's 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 it. You know what? It's 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 dirty, but it's dirty in a late seventies kind of a way, which is to say that it's sort of not that dirty anymore. And then uh, from Milestone, a, a really really great release. I'm so glad that they do this. The people at Milestone, I just I just love those guys. I really do. Um, Dennis and Amy just keep. Really doing such great work. It's a a real passion project for them. Uh, This is the Kathleen Collins film, Losing Ground, uh, in a two-disc deluxe edition. This is one of the uh, significant early to mid-'80s films that sort of represented a renaissance in uh, black female directors. And uh, it is, it's just a wonderful personal story about a, uh, a really interesting couple. Um, you know, the woman is a, is a uh, professor of philosophy. Her husband is a uh, painter. And it's a really interesting look at a relationship, beautiful and tender and, uh, and very accomplished. And uh, the most tragic part of this is that Kathleen Collins, who wrote and directed of course, she died six years uh, after the movie was made, died of cancer. So um, I'm glad that they're calling uh, attention to this film again. It's really, really a good film.
1: That's right, Chunky Love.
0: Chunky Love. <laughs> I, know, I, know for, what, I know what you're talking about.
1: I'm talking about Marion Davies? That's what you're talking about. So a couple from Warner Archives. One is a, a film that deserves to be uh, rediscovered, a little piece of film history, Not So Dumb, which, by the way, is not the story of my life. Um, my story is called Yes, he is that dumb uh, Yeah, story of my life. Anyway, Marion Davies was a great uh, silent film actress, but she did uh, wind up doing sound, and she was a little bit nervous about doing sound because you know a lot of actors back in the day were worried about doing sound. However, one of her first um, sound films was Not So Dumb, and this thing is uh, pretty funny. Uh, it was uh, directed by uh, uh, King Vidor, of course, and uh, Marion Davies, if you don't know who she is, she was the one who... Um, she was one whose career was sort of like uh, taken over by William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper uh, publisher and tycoon, and that was kind of interesting. Um, and he loved seeing her dress up in beautiful gowns. And it pussy. was a creepy
0: relationship. It was a
1: creepy relationship, but uh, not so honest. dumb is not not so dumb is more in the comedy vein. It's maybe one that I don't know that uh, Hearst necessarily signed off on, but. Um, Anyway, it's kind of a bit of a screwball comedy type thing, and it's based on a um, play co-written by George S. S. Kaufman, and uh, it's good stuff. It really deserves to be rediscovered. Marion Davies, not so dumb. Also, we have Brotherly Love. This is with um, Peter O'Toole. Um, I was not a huge fan of this movie as I – hang on. Wait, wait, hang on. Wait, scratching something on my eye. Something in my eye. Something in my eye. Do it. There's nothing in my eye now. Okay. I can put my glasses back on. Anyway, so it's Peter O'Toole and uh, Susanna York. It's a comedy. It's kind of a tragedy, and it's got some really creepy overtones because uh, it's about a brother who kind of loves his sister, and it kind of really treads on some interesting ethical waters. So Brotherly Love, um, a movie that maybe its title hits it on the head a little bit too too hard, uh, is okay. I, I don't know that I necessarily would want to watch this again. Also, we have very interesting Michael Collins is finally out on uh, Blu ray. Blu ray -ray before? No.
0: Huh. Mm -mm. No, no. That's bizarre. Yeah. Um, I love this movie. I love this movie too. Except for Julia Roberts, who I don't think is very well cast in it.
1: No, uh, because you know what? Look, it was was, whatever it was. It was like 1990 something, 1998 when this thing came out, 1996 when this thing came out. So if it's 1996 and Julia Roberts wants to do your movie, Yeah, you do it. You do it. Anyway, this is all about Michael Collins, but this is a very specific time in his career. As the, you know, he's obviously the Irish revolutionary, and he was trying to rip Ireland away from Great Britain. One of the
0: best things Neil Jordan ever did as a director. I mean, it's really accomplished. It's really very
1: accomplished film. It's uh, it's intelligent, and it's there's a lot of pain in this film that's really interesting to kind of look at. And, uh, And Liam Neeson is just magnetic. And it's very ambitious. I thought it was very satisfying. I liked it a lot. Neil Jordan's uh, Michael Collins.
0: Agreed. Very good. And then uh, I've got a bunch here from the MOD lines uh, over at MGM and 20th. Uh, Final combination is a so-so cop thriller with Lisa Bonet and Michael Madsen from 1994. He's basically, you know, a cop and he's looking for a a rapist and a killer. It's all right. Uh, Legend of Custer. Man, there have been so many movies about Custer. This is... uh, this is a really unusual 1967 movie with uh, not a lot going for it, to be honest. Two different directors, Sam Wanamaker and Norman Foster, and uh, kind of a strange, convoluted, post-Civil War look at Custer and this ragtag um, 7th Cavalry Regiment that he, he had put together. Uh, it, it's, it, 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 it's kind of a middling Western, but um, you know, I guess as a as a curiosity, it's got something going for it. Here is a weird movie, man. We we talk about Michael Cimino a lot because his career just befuddles us, and he is a personality just <laughs> mystifies us. He's, he's just best. one of those strange, enigmatic. Just you, you can't you can't get a beat on him, right? No. He's just he's here, and then he looks like this, and then he makes this movie, and then he goes away, and he's just you you can't get him, you can't peg him down. Um, Cimino made this movie called Sun Chaser in 1996,
1: which now that was his last. Pretty much his last film, was kind
0: it not? Pretty much, yeah. Unless when, he,
1: when, now, Year of the Dragon was. Before, oh, that was before. Before yeah, that. that I think Sun Chase was like his last.
0: Official movie. Yes. Movie. Yeah.
1: And it's it's not bad, but it's also not
0: good. Charles Levitt wrote it, and it's an okay script. I mean, you know, Woody Woody Harrelson, and I mean, it's got some credentials. Maurice Jar score, that's perfectly fine, one of Maurice Jarre's last scores. Uh, shot by Doug Milsom, you know, who did Full Metal Jacket. I mean, this is not a this is not a bunch of slouches, uh, but it's kind of like, all right, well, um, whatever. Uh, y- y- you know, the whole it's one of those kind of I've lost my life and I'm looking to sort of find meaning in life. And and the idea here is that you know, Woody Harrelson is an oncologist of all things, and uh, he has this patient who kidnaps him. Uh, and uh, then it becomes this weird kind of road trip into uh, you know Native American lore, and it's a very strange, odd, unusual movie. But anyway, it's, it's not bad. It's just sort of one of those films you kind of scratch your head, and you wonder what attracted everybody to this. Uh, then there's also That Night with Juliet Lewis and C. Thomas Howell which, uh, you know, one of those those throwback 1960s era, wasn't made in the 1960s, it was made in uh, 1992, but it sort of has that whole nostalgic 60s era romance thing going to it. And then lastly, a film that I think is one of the most underrated films ever made, and I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's just unbelievably true. Uh, Chris Mangies, who uh, won an Academy Award as a cinematographer of The Killing Fields, and then briefly had a directing career before he just couldn't get movies made as a director anymore, so he went back to being a DP. But, you know, he made a number of really decent films as a director. And the one that completely got crapped on was Second Best. And it makes me mad because I still remember the, the entire issue around this film. This was made in um, 1994. And, uh, you know, I'd been a film critic for a couple of years already, and I'd been looking forward to this, the new Chris Mangi's film. I kid you not, Warner Brothers released this movie in one theater for Academy consideration for literally one week right before the end of the year, and that was it. And it was done. It was buried. They had no confidence in this movie at all, and it was so upsetting, and they didn't promote it. They did nothing. It was just sort of like there was an obligatory qualification run, and this kind of sank Chris Menge's career in many respects. And the uh, the story here is basically William Hurt is this very introverted uh, man, single man, who adopts the son of a domestic terrorist. It's set in the UK. I won't give you any other uh, details about it. Um, and it's about the relationship between this man and this boy, who knows that you know. That, I mean, he's you know, he's he's a a pubescent boy. I mean, he's you know, he doesn't want to be adopted, but his father's a fugitive and. And so he's basically been put up for it and it's an, it's a really a fascinating dynamic it's a really good movie um based on a novel and uh scripted by the novelist david cook and uh i i just think I just think this is such a good film, so well done, so interesting and uh, it's been on d v d before and it's finally out again in m o d and uh, I, I, it's just so, so upsetting to me. But anyway, it's part of the Regency collection. Regency obviously now has got all their rights back from uh, the studios who originally released a lot of these things. So there you go.
1: Thank you, Wade, for uh, bringing up a little-known gem resurrecting it, making us care. Yes. Anyway, we got a couple from uh, the good folks at Kino Lorber. We have two World War II films. One is uh, James Cagney in The Gallant Hours. He plays Admiral Halsey. This one was directed by Robert Montgomery, kind of interesting. He, uh, Robert Montgomery, of course, is an actor, and he did direct a couple films. And this would be one of them. This is uh, this happens right before uh, the Battle of Guadalcanal. And what's interesting about... Valerie Dennis Weaver is also in this, looking so young. What I liked about this film is that it has a certain kind of like... Uh, semi-documentary feel to it. You would think that even though Robert Montgomery is an actor you would want something very actory and dramatic and very fictional seeming but there's some kind of semi doc looking shots of this film and and approach to this film that I kind of like so this is not bad and then there's Gregory Peck and the Purple Plane not one of my favorite Gregory Peck films directed by Robert Parrish Um, decent cast but um, still uh, Purple Plane not one of my favorite Gregory Peck movies Uh, the best film that Keanu Lorber releases this week, wait let me tell you something Yeah, it's the year 2010 And the United Uh Nations—they have decided to send a team of uh, astronauts to Uranus.
0: Um, Oh, well, there you go.
1: (laughs) Now, when the astronauts land in Uranus, yes, they find an amazing land filled with voluptuous women. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is *Journey to the Seventh Planet*, a film from 1962, directed by Sidney Payne. It is awesome when I say awesome I mean awesomely bad and yet awesomely good at the same time good stuff Journey to the Seventh Planet great cheesy sci-fi all right
0: well that's it for this week we will see you guys next week